Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. We are in John chapter 4 today so let's pray. Lord we invite you to speak to us this morning. Lord we want you to open up your word to us, make it live to us. Lord in Jesus name. Amen. So we are on this incredible story of Jesus at the well in Samaria and so um this is a very famous story. Lots of sermons have been preached on this, and so I shall add one more. <laughs> Here we go. So when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Hi, Fran. Um, And uh, so we know that now, looking back, we know that the Jews had a big problem with the Samaritans because they had been part of the kingdom, the the, the um, kingdom of Judea, which was conquered by Babylon. The very, very poor and people of low status were left to kind of manage the farmland. And they intermarried with the local people around and they kind of departed really from faithfulness to God and certainly in the eyes of the Jews who had remained faithful um he, he, we use that term advisedly um they were there was a degree of prejudice and hostility so the Jews had this hostile view of the Samaritans good morning Pat and Mike they didn't really consider them them brothers or legitimate kind of members of this nation of Israel um the the promise people the people of promise and so there was this hostility going on and so um anyway let's let's park that thought just for a second here's the thing the Pharisees got wind of Jesus's growing popularity they realized that he was now baptizing more people than John or at least his disciples were and their paranoia has spiked and so their concern that their their popularity is being kind of lost in favour of these renegade preachers and so on is too much for them and so Jesus doesn't want to get entangled in all of that right now so he takes a detour he goes through the land of Samaria so that's en route to Galilee so he's left Judea you can have to look at your map in the back of your bible to get it all clear right so he's left Judea and he wants to go to Galilee but he's going to go through Samaria 
And a lot of the Jews, if they if they were going to make that journey, they would take a long detour that avoided them going through Samaria because the prejudice was that entrenched in their hearts. But Jesus doesn't isn't bothered about all of that, and he is en route through Samaria, and he's tired and weary, so he sits down by this well. Good morning, Sam. Great to see you, and we will talk. We will. We'll make that happen. So, um... It was about the sixth hour. I don't know what time that is in our time. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Right, this well he's sitting at is the well that Jacob, one of the patriarchs, had dug. So the Samaritans and the Jews both had the same ancestry through the patriarchs, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And it was only much later on in their history that they'd parted ways and become kind of hostile towards each other and so this well was part of their heritage their shared heritage really but it just happened to be in Samaritan territory so a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food right here we go so Jesus has broken one big taboo by going into Samaria now he's breaking another taboo by being on his own by a well and addressing a woman. Apparently, this is what I read, a rabbi would not address a woman even if it was his wife in public. Gosh, that seems like bizarre to us now, doesn't it? With our kind of Western liberal thinking. But back in the day of Jesus, this was the norm. And so there was a huge amount of prejudice towards the Samaritans and there was a huge amount of prejudice towards women from men. So particularly men of standing and status like rabbis and so on. So Jesus, anyway, Jesus just completely jumps over all of these taboos. He says, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, obviously, the disciples were going to, they were hungry. And so their prejudice was getting slightly overtaken by their appetites. And so they were going to go and get some food from a Samaritan city. But meanwhile, we have this little bit of insight from John. He just tells us he doesn't go into much detail because it was so everybody knew about it. Right. So there's a lot of prejudice around, isn't there? And here is some. (laughs) Jesus right in the middle of it all. So Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he's saying, what in effect, you don't know who you're talking to, lady. If you did know, you'd be asking me for what I can give you, because what I can give you is better than what you can give me. But actually, I want some of what you can give me right now. <laughs> so here we go. So Jesus, so, so he's saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son, sons and livestock. <laughs> she's kind of trying it. She's doing what Nicodemus did. She's she's interpreting Jesus's spiritual 
language, which is the language of metaphor and so on. He, she's interpreting spiritual language in a very naturalistic way. There's nothing, there's nothing sort of dumb about that. She's just giving a logical reaction. She's working it out. She's saying, well, you haven't got a bucket. How are you going to get water out of the well? In any case, in, what is this living water? And are you greater than our father? You know, our father Jacob, he drank from this well. If it's good enough for the patriarchs, good enough for your ancestors and my ancestors to drink from it, what are you actually talking about? And so she says, where are you going to get that living water? And so here we've got to understand something, because not only is the well of Jacob part of their shared heritage, but so is the wilderness experience with Moses leading them through the wilderness where they drank from the rock, where the Moses struck the rock with his stick, the water poured out, they all drank from this water, they would have gathered it up and washed in it, washed, bathed the children, fed their cattle and drank, watered their cattle and everything else. And this was a massive turning point in their journey through the wilderness. And we understand, it's hard to really fathom it exactly, but we understand that that rock seemed to follow them around and they would continue to drink from this water. And so they had this understanding that God himself was the fount, the fountain of living water that came out of the rock. Well, we know that Jesus is the rock. God is the rock. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock of our salvation. He is also the living water. He's the whole thing. Whatever lovely metaphor you can come up with, Jesus is it. Jesus fulfills it somehow. And Jesus, uh, <clears throat> so Jesus says, I can give you this living water. And he's really kind of, he's hitting on some of these old historical, um, this heritage that is shared by both the Jew and the Samaritan and he's kind of bringing all these things to life in her thinking. And she's, they're all, I would imagine, as Jesus is talking, the ideas and thoughts are tumbling over each other. She's trying to keep up with what he's saying and make sense of it. But she's, she's engaged, isn't she? And I love Jesus's approach. He doesn't see, he, he is beyond prejudice. He doesn't see that. And yet, as we read on, we realise that he does know a lot about this woman by divine revelation but even so his heart is just open to her isn't it and I love that I just love it and she says um are you greater than our father Jacob verse 12 he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock Jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him or her. We need to understand that this is not just for men. This is just the language. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, there is something that I will do on the inside of the person who comes to me. I will create a spring of living water that literally gushes up continuously and it is actually eternal life. 
it starts now it it never finishes it carries on even when this mortal body dies and we turn our toes up and we we shuffle off this mortal coil um we at that point our spirit does not die because our spirit is alive good morning gabriel good morning julie good to see you good morning adrian um and so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do something. I will do a miracle on the inside of you that will be sustaining and life-giving, not just now, not just today in this immediate moment, but on and on and on and on and on. It's good to see you, Gabriel. On and on and on forevermore, for eternity. He said it will spring up, it's welling up unto eternal life now. We talked, didn't we, a couple of days ago about the new birth. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He was trying to articulate spirit. Well, Jesus was articulating spiritual truths it, using natural metaphors. Nicodemus got himself a bit complicated in it. This lady is trying to work it out. and But Jesus is saying, listen, this new birth, you are born of the spirit. John the Baptist said of Jesus, he who comes after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to undo, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is talking about here is this born again thing of, and also this whole experience of being filled with the Spirit of God that bubbles up inside us. Now, I know plenty of people who have been filled with the Spirit of God who allow, who don't come to the spring and drink. So they've had that experience of God and they allow it to just fall into disrepair. Now, if we read the Old Testament, we read that um, Abraham dug wells and they got filled in again. Isaac came along and redug them. And sometimes we need to redig that well and say, come on, Lord, my well, that that well that has a spring in it has got filled up with junk. It's got supermarket trolleys and garbage in it. And we need to get that stuff out of the well so that that water that springing up we can access it easily now the person who walks with Jesus day by day by day and actively goes to that spring and drinks of it is never thirsty again but we can allow things to clog up that spring of life that the Lord has put in us and do you know what we just need to be skillful and diligent when I get up in the morning, I habitually go to the kettle, put the kettle on, and make myself a cup of tea. That is habitual. The kettle is there. The electricity, thank God, is still there. The water is still in the tap, thank God. But there's something about me. I have to go and get it, don't I? It doesn't just jump into my mouth like, ooh, tea in my mouth. That is not what happens. So there's a process. And the same then when I've made my cup of tea... I will begin to talk to the Lord and engage with him and that I begin to sense that spring of living water bubbling up inside me. It's not the cup of tea that's made that happen. It's Jesus who's there. The thing is, if there's a power cut and the water's turned off, I can't make a cup of tea. I can still go to that well of Jesus and I can still find that spring bubbling up inside me. When I've been to different nations and different um, parts of the world, 
Amazingly, I still find that spring of living water bubbling up inside of me, sustaining me, giving me life. Good morning, Ruth. It's lovely to see you. I hope you're well, and Chris too. Bless you guys. Um, so this is really important because when I read when I read this, Jesus says, "Are oh, you the one who drinks of me will never thirst again?" I kind of think, mm, "Do you know what? I do get thirsty for Him, even though He's." filled me but do you know what when I come to him when I come back to him he sustains me and renews me and it's that it, the, the thirst is just that thing of I can access it really easily that spring of living water that's bubbling up inside of me even in the really difficult times even in the, the very very painful times I found him faithful and able to sustain me and give me life even in those really difficult times Thank God. So Jesus says, "You, this would be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It will become in him. It's an internal thing. It's a, it's a gift to us on the inside. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Once again, she's still... Oh, has it gone off? I... I think everything's still good here. Um, has anyone else not got sound? Um, Jesus, uh, the woman said, so she's still looking at this in a naturalistic kind of way. She's still, oh, good. She's still um, interpreting what Jesus is saying naturalistically. She's not looking, she's not understanding the spiritual reality of what she's saying. So Jesus is about to go deeper. Here we go. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus <laughs> said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. So Jesus has just taken it to another level, hasn't he? He's tried her with the nice metaphors and all of that kind of stuff. She's still stuck in this naturalistic mindset. Good, good Fran and Ruth. And, uh, and she's still stuck in this naturalistic mindset. And Jesus is saying, boom, here's a piece of revelation that I could not know by any other means than if God has revealed it to me. And so instantly she says you are right instantly jesus says you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband <laughs> she knows she's not just talking to an ordinary person i think she knows that already but this kind of confirms it really and so she's so he says you've had five husbands the one you have now is not your husband what you have said is true verse 19 the woman said to him sir i perceive you are a prophet our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. This is really important. This is kind of... Quite, Jesus is cutting quite a fine line here, isn't he? And he's making a very particular point. Let's just home in on it a second. So the, Jesus 
gives her this piece of revelation about her life. It's called a word of knowledge. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You and I can move in this stuff and do. I know many of us do. And it's quite fun, um, especially when people. someone said to me the other day, are you a psychic? <laughs> I said, no. I just laughed. I didn't, I didn't say too much. I just said, that's no, my job. You know, and I'm kind of like, you know, kind of giving her knowledge that, you know, is um, divine revelation, I suppose. And the woman, she perceives that he's a prophet. And then she brings out her little religious conundrum that she that she understands is the issue between the Samaritans and the Jews. So here it comes. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So this is the issue. The the Jews did not acknowledge that what the Samaritans were doing on that particular mountain counted as legitimate worship of God. They thought it was all um, very corrupt and compromised and so on. And so they were very dismissive of all of the stuff the Samaritans were doing. Samaritans were upset because they felt the Jews looked down on them, which of course they did. And uh, so there was this kind of theological divide, massive theological divide. And, and no prizes for guessing. We have a few theological divides in this country as well. And there are a few around the world, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, not necessarily about which mountain we should worship on, though, in this in our case. But um, and Jesus said to her, do you know what? Because because he she knew that he being a Jew would favor Jerusalem. Jesus says, do you know what? The hour is coming. The hour is coming. It's a specific hour. It's a specific moment in time when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. So he's saying this, this whole thing of which mountain you worship on is going to be overturned. It's going to be turned on its head because actually... Although salvation is from the Jews, although God's gift is coming from the Jews, and, no, and side note, here I am, a Jew, telling you all about it, precisely fulfilling what I've just said. Um, he says salvation is from the Jews. We understand. We have the theology, everything else. That's cool. We've, we've got that. We understand. You don't really understand. But actually, there's a time coming and is now. But the hour is coming and is now here, verse 23, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is so profound. It's so important. Jesus is saying the hour is coming. This specific hour is coming and now is. It's actually here. It's upon us. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's not going to be about your geographic location anymore. But it's going to be about what's going on on the inside of you. It's about whether you're whether you have that spring of living water bubbling up inside you, which also will motivate you and usher you into true spiritual worship or whether you're still trying to you're locked into some old 
um, kind of liturgical, maybe uh, that might be, I'm sure some people will take offence if I say that, but um, locked into some kind of ritualistic thing about this mountain, that mountain, this geographic location or what, that's no longer the issue. The issue is what's going on in here, that spring of living water bubbling up inside you to eternal life, but also bringing you into true spiritual worship. And he says, for the for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking worshippers. He's not seeking worship per se. He's seeking worshippers. He's looking for people. He's gathering people. He's not like this, oh, I've got to have worship. Give me worship, everyone. Give me adoration, adulation, all this kind of stuff. Although he does command us to worship him. And certainly in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, we worship the Lord your God and all that kind of stuff. But it's it so it is important. But he's actually gathering people, and here's the clue. He says they must worship the Father. The true worshippers will worship the Father. That's God the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father, Jesus purposely uses this language. This is not accidental language. He's not just thinking, oh, what name shall I give to God in this sentence? He's purposely calling God a Father because a Father has a family. You can't be a Father. Being a Father means you have children. So this is the Father seeking these worshippers, drawing them in collecting worshippers building a family which is based on the new birth that he's described in chapter three it's not based on ethnicity or geography it's based on the new birth a born again moment in time when god brings our spirit to life he fills us with his holy spirit this miracle of living water bubbling up inside us which is worship then directed to god and I can do that in my own garden here in England. And I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Samaritan and I'm not in Jerusalem or in Mount Gerizim. I'm in Vern Road in Weymouth in Dorset in England. Isn't that incredible? Be and, and here I am. I'm having a little party with some friends, enjoying the Lord together. And isn't it wonderful? And that's, that is the miracle. And so all the way around the earth from... Singapore to Taiwan to Canada to the Netherlands people are worshipping God today in spirit and truth because he's brought them alive on the inside and he's gathered them to be his worshippers so God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth remember um, we said that we can see the wind blow, we can see the effect of the wind, but we can't see the wind. And the same is true, we can see the effect of God, but we can't see God at this time. God is spirit. There, there obviously was a time when Jesus physically walked the earth and then people did see God. But he's saying, listen, this is how it works. This is a spiritual um, thing. This is a whole, this is a spiritual experience and God is spiritual and so that's why we need and so when we are born again it's like our spirit man or woman is unlocked and comes to life on the inside of us and we begin to live in an entirely different dimension
Jesus said you can't be born again and you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It gives us access. That new birth brings us into the life of the spirit. And so the woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. So she had an expectation of the Messiah, as did the Jews. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That is about as direct as Jesus ever was really about his true identity. Often in the Gospels, it seems that he doesn't give a direct answer when they ask him. But here he is saying, actually, to this Samaritan woman, where he's broken all the protocols and broke, kind of jumped over all the taboos. He says he tells her, he gives her this incredible piece of insight and revelation. I, who I'm talking to you, am he. Just then, the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, lovely bit of detail there from the eyewitness John. She left her water jar. This is not a fable. This is not Aesop's fable or something like that. This is an actual eyewitness account. This is John the Apostle's testimony. This is his written sworn affidavit that he bases his whole life on, that Jesus is real. And so the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. More on that tomorrow. Hey, have an amazing day, you guys. God bless you.